There was an idea. Dormammu, I come to bargain. Before we get started, does anyone want to get out? Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. Baskin Robbins always finds out. I for the faster way. Are you Tony Stank? I am Iron Man. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective, the show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie. I am your host, Eduardo, and today I have assembled a shrinking squad of shoutcasters to talk all about <laughs> and philosophy. I don't know. Shoutcasters? I was in the pool. Shrinking? <laughs> Oh, no. Wow. <laughs> Jesus. What are we in, okay, cold well, water? No, we're just watching a movie. You know what? Don't make this weird. Don't make it that, Don't make it seem like I made it weird. You guys are the ones that made it weird. Oh, okay. I believe you. Peaches is here. Southlord's here. Robbie's here. <laughs> we're all here, everybody. What's up? What's up? <laughs> What's up? <laughs> what? <laughs> That was oh, one of the commercials. That was you, literally one You don't of the remember that beloved commercial? I do not. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. They're at the at the Japanese restaurant and they're yes. going, Wasabi. That was how I originally <laughs> found out what Wasabi was. And then I played Lick a Tongue Lick on uh, Pokemon Stadium and really learned what Wasabi Yes. Was. That's where I first learned about sushi conveyor belts. Mm-hmm. Uh, which Ooh. is still which is still a thing that I've never done and desperately want oh, to the do. The one in the Florida Mall is and, fun. Oh, well, when we're allowed to leave the house in five years, I, I will certainly try it. <laughs> when I think of conveyor belts in Pokemon, I think of that Deli Bird. Is it Deli Bird, the minigame? Deli Bird's the name of the Pokemon, right? The, the like, Christmas Santa one with the yeah. bag? Yes. Yeah. And it's, got a, it's got a game where you have to take all the presents off the conveyor belt. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. Yep, I yeah. do. I have a question about Deli Bird. Is it pronounced Deli Bird, or is it supposed to be delivered? Because it delivers things. Oh, shit. <laughs> Cat. Cancel the podcast. <laughs> this is more important. <laughs> All right. Okay. New idea for a podcast for for Squad Up Presents uh, is we go through the poke the Poke Rap and do an episode about each Pokemon in order of the Poke Rap. Oh, cool! I can start. That's never, I will not be right on episode one hundred and fifty-two. Yeah. Well, well, none of them are in the uh, uh, only only the first hundred fifty in the Poke Rap. Um, you isn't in there. We okay. now we could do we could do Weird Al Yankovic's Pokemon, uh, and <laughs> do it based on that. <laughs> Delivered. Oh my gosh. This is it. Well, is the today <laughs> we are talking all about Ant Man and the Wasp, and only Ant Man and the Wasp, <laughs> and only Ant Man and the Wasp. But before we do that, we have. Some fan mail to get to. What? And I've got it pulled up here. I'm going to send it over because I think it is only right that Robbie be the one to read this. Oh, I know this one. So okay. I've just sent it over through Discord. Had Would you ready. like me to send it somewhere else? No, no, no. I, uh, I've got it. I'm just going to need to open it. But I did read this. Um, I was I was going to make you acknowledge it if you didn't. Um. Hold on, it's going to make me log into Facebook. Uh, well, while you're to... looking for that, it's from listener of the show, Riley, uh, who up, said Riley? some very kind things about the show. 
um, that Robbie will read as soon as he figures out technology, you old, old man. Well, no, it's just I'm not <laughs> logged into Facebook. Who doesn't stay <laughs> logged into Facebook? What have you, what, who logs out of Facebook? Well, so I clicked it on the Discord app. It doesn't open it in the Facebook app. It tries to open it in the Discord app. And it's not, I'm not logged into Facebook on Discord. Yeah, I see. I pick up what you're putting down. I think I got a shortcut, though. <laughs> okay, so delivered. Delivered? <laughs> so, what Chris was alluding to earlier, and we're going to just talk about this now, because why not? We're, we're looking for ideas, guys. We want to keep this group together. We're obviously going to continue to do Marvel stuff as Marvel stuff comes up. But if there is anything else you guys would want us to talk about, if there are any other movies, TV shows, any other properties you want to hear the four of us specifically for some reason talk about, we'd be happy to. Just let us know what you want to listen to. Send us an email or send us a Facebook message like Riley did. Um, you can follow us at Assembly Required. We're on Facebook. We're on the Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on all the the different places so send us a message send us an email to let us know robbie's now ready the, uh, twitter oh, yes. and facebook name by the way assembly cast all right so this email came from loyal yes. listener riley we could we have a loyal listener guys uh riley said uh just listen to part two i'm referring to the assembler of the um infinity war part two episode uh god i loved it keep up the great work please do the tv shows if you ever find the time understandably you guys have lives too haha <laughs> But if there ever was one of those shows... Not as much I, as we used to. <laughs> <laughs> if there ever was one of those shows, I would lose my shit. Just so, of, ugh, just so often, I wish I was in the pod so I could give answers and give input. I can't get over how much I love you all. I feel like I have four new friends. Much love, Riley. P.S. Also, I wanted to say to Robbie that I love him and agree with him 99% of the stuff he says. Hashtag Team Mary Jane. Crying emoji, crying emoji. <laughs> uh, Riley. You know, Riley. That is the best email oh, we've it, ever please. been given. Just so you know. <laughs> I'm going to try really hard not to take that personally, Riley. Mm-hmm. Um, and just say thank you for listening to the show. He also did. He was very kind to us and wrote us. We, we've corresponded with him a little bit. And so he did write us a couple other messages before that. And I think just the talked important to one it. to note is that his friend Sam the first Marvel movie that they ever saw oh, yeah. was Avengers Infinity War. There Just is like a we, person. There, we found the one person, and, uh, and I believe they liked it so much with minimal pausing to explain certain relationships and jokes that they went back and watched the rest of the movies. Yep, that's, so, so there's so your yeah. answer. So that was, yeah. Myth so, busted. That's really cool. Shout out to Sam <laughs> for that. No, <laughs> shout out to Sam and Riley. And seriously, Riley, thank you so much. Um, and we appreciate oh, your input. Very, very kind. Yeah. Um, that was really, really cool to read. I don't think, um, I know you think it's cool you know, that we respond to you, that we're, we're doing the show. We think it's cool that someone listens and writes to us. So that was... Someone that's, that's not married to one of yes, us right, actually listens right. to the show. Absolutely made our time. So, <laughs> yeah, um, someone that's not married to one of us. Yeah. Or our dog. Oh, Ivy listens? I- does, does Ivy listen to the podcast? She's going to now. Yeah. <laughs> you put on the podcast when you leave for work. Well, you won't do it anymore. <laughs> uh, but so anyway, Riley said I'm leaving. right. 
Well, that's one column for Riley. I need the Eduardo supporters to stand up and email into the show. To be fair, Alejandro already emailed into the show. There you and go. It, does, it still counts, even be, even though we know him. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm in my book, we're even right now. So next one is going to break the tie. Woo. Thank you, Riley, and thank you, Sam, yep, thank you. For, uh, for for giving us the for giving us the chance. Um, so we're going to talk all about Ant Man and the Wasp today. What an absolutely timely movie that we wouldn't have expected would have been so timely right now. Like what <laughs> right? an yeah. interestingly very topical movie for our current predicament in life. Yeah. Uh, I- yeah, go yeah. Ahead. No, 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 I was just going to agree with you. It was just eerie, man. Like Right? It's there just eerie. Moments. It's it's not only is it eerie because of what's going on in the world right now, but because of the way that our schedules have lined this podcast up. It just happens to fall. Like it we could have been on Ant-Man and the Wasp if we would have been like week after week like really on top of it, we'd already be done with the whole mm-hmm. MCU. This isn't me complaining. This is me saying it's weird that it just worked mm-hmm. out this way. Yeah. <laughs> At the end, when uh, Scott goes, like, "What's it like out there? Does people still dance?" Like, I know that that's about it's about someone who's been on house arrest <laughs> for two years. But the moment he said it, like, "Oof, oh, yeah," has it Tough. been two years already? <sighs> so we're not going to go into any of the the normal stuff we go in when we talk about publication or not publication, but publication of the comics. I guess we really already did. and the. Uh, because we've already talked about it, right, with Ant-Man, with the original release. We've talked about all of these characters already. There aren't too many new characters introduced, and the ones that are introduced I don't think are either significant enough to the MCU or significant enough to this mm-hmm. character, to these characters, that it matters going over them without before, before talking about them in the movie. Right. So... Let's start the discussion right at the top of the synopsis. Narrating over a flashback, Hank Pym retells his daughter... Hope Van Dyne, the story of how they lost his wife and Hope's mother, Janet. In 1987, Hank and Janet, then working as Ant-Man and the Wasp with S.H.I.E.L.D., attempted to intercept a Soviet missile headed to the U.S. coast. The two are unable to get through the plating of the missile and realize one of them must shrink small enough to fit between the molecules. Hank tries, but is unable to do... But is it unable due to the quantum stabilizer, which allows him to shrink malfunctioning. Janet does it and then disappears into the quantum realm. Okay. First thing... Before I know Chris is ready. Chris is ready to say something there. I saw him. Sorry. <laughs> I'm so predictable. I... Oh, we're talking Christmas wanna say something. <laughs> no, I just I started say, I just started talking and you looked like immediately like you wanted to say something. How if she continues to shrink, does she disable the bomb if she is shrinking? She never gets bigger. The first time I, I ever thought about, about that was movie. while I was writing these notes. Literally, never questioned it while watching it. Then I'm writing out that sentence you just read. I'm like, wait, <laughs> wait. Well, what's interesting you... is that this whole thing we're doing has a lot of things that could literally never happen in real life. And this movie is the first one where I've got like six things that I'm like, yes. How could that happen? <laughs> it's because- MCU does a good job of explaining its internal logic, of following its own rules, right. and then this movie just kind of just like, yeah, we put quantum in front of the word. Now, hilariously, Paul Rudd lampshades all these things. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> like, like I, I remember the moment when when um, Hope is talking about always hiding in the same, uh, I want to say Shifero, but that's not what they were using. Um, 
uh, wardrobe. In the wardrobe. I always hid in that wardrobe. The tall dresser. My my mind says, was going to call out this movie for that, what she hid in the wardrobe every time. And then Paul Rudd does it for me in the next line. It's so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's not very good. She doesn't I think maybe I don't think you, you could just understand the concept. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Now, I mean, granted, we do see her, like, hitting things as she's shrinking. So it's like, oh, that must be the bomb being disabled. But then she keeps shrinking. So I don't but know. is she hitting the molecules next to the whatever the yeah. contraptions are? Like, thinking back to the original movie. And she's hitting the exact molecules that would destroy this entire thing. At what point does she stop shrinking? Like, right. she has to stop at some point, right? right? And at what point does she know that she's succeeded? Like, has she just been hardcore dancing <laughs> just for the next 15 minutes to make sure? Hoping that she punches the right thing. She's fist pumping in all directions. <laughs> Sorry for party rocking. I think the original movie's explanation was when you mess with the stabilizer it loses its control to stop you from shrinking. And I think the idea is you get small enough, you do the thing, but you're not going to stop getting smaller. It's just eventually she did stop getting smaller, and I don't know how that works. It ran out of pim juice. <laughs> there you go. Pim juice doesn't fall in a jar. Pim juice shrinks down who you are. Um... <laughs> I did want to say, as you guessed, just about that scene that Marvel does seem to get more confident about de-aging every time mm-hmm. they use that. And uh, and that obviously that culminates in the next movie we see where the co-lead is de-aged for the entire yep. film. And so, so let me say, if we can de-age these people, then can we get ourselves a, a um, Cold War spy thriller starring... Hank and Janet, because I will be there at midnight. Well, I said this last time that the next movie should be Ant-Man and the Wasps and be a dual story about Hope and Scott in the present day and Hank and yep. Janet uh, in the past and have the I stories. I will watch the hell the out of that. Yeah, well, with the way things are going, it'll now be Ant-Man and the Wasp, and we will not see Hope <laughs> at all. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you totally know, the plot of this that. movie actually... This the part of this. Speaking of how it relates to everything that's going on today, not only do we have Scott in isolation, uh, not only do we have him uh, defending the U.S. Postal Service, oh, uh, but we also have Evangeline Lilly undermining a stay-at-home order. Yep. At the very <laughs> beginning of this movie. Yep. <laughs> so it really is like, oh, this is just today as a movie. It all checks out. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> So in modern day, Hank tells Hope he assumed Janet was gone forever, but after Scott Lang came back from the Quantum Realm and Ant-Man, he has a plan. Scott Lang and his daughter Cassie are playing at home. Scott accidentally kicks through his back fence, setting off an ankle monitor. The FBI, led by Special Agent Jim Halpert, arrived to check the home. (laughs) It's the fuzz! (laughs) Popo, where did you learn that? Um... Wait, you were at my wedding. Led by special agent Jimmy Wu. Wu explains to Cassie that Lang is under house arrest as part of a plea bargain following his involvement in violating the Sokovia Accords in Civil War. Your daddy went to Germany and drew on the walls with Captain America. (laughs) (laughs) I love that explanation. Real real quick aside, Jimmy Wu gonna be in WandaVision. 
Yep. Uh, just just something Ooh. that I keep forgetting is a thing. And, and there were pictures from uh, from the set that leaked of him with Monica Rambeau, aka Photon, aka the little girl from Captain Marvel, and she's wearing a sword jacket. Ooh, yeah. What is a sword jacket? Uh, sword is the space equivalent of shield, uh, and it stands for uh, Sentient World Observation and Response Department. <laughs> Uh, and See, the other uh, one was called shield so we needed to call this one sword yeah and i think it's implied or, or at least my assumption was the end of captain mar or the end of excuse me far from home was setting up sword but we'll get to that later dude i had no idea that that character was a superhero in the mcu yes yeah. she, she was captain marvel before carol was yep all right sick yeah and I'm sure they're leading back into that being a thing. Because I don't think Brie Larson has signed on for that many movies, from what I understand. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Wu also asked about where the pins are, as the feds have been looking for them, as their tech was what Scott used in Germany. Scott explains they don't want anything to do with him. In the meantime, Lang and his friends, Luis and his associates, Dave and Kurt, have set up a security company around the brink of a major deal to help keep the company solvent. All right. We've, we've been through a lot of this movie so far. We get to see um, a lot of Scott with his daughter. We get to see all these kinds of things. And I want to talk just here at the very beginning about Paul Rudd and how much of an amazing job he does in this movie and how sort of I think he should be treasured in the MCU because he does something so unique with his character. I, the characters that I find in direct contrast with him are Doctor Strange and Iron Man. He is sort of the is the antithesis, the correct word, the sort of the opposite. And they kind of play this this way the same, right? Like Tony regards like it's like the end of Civil War where he's like, uh, you know, Hank Pym always said you could never trust a Stark. And he's like, who are you? Mm-hmm. And sort of the way those two characters react is a really good uh, representation of this. But they he is so different in the way that he is just a good person. And he's not a good person in the way that Captain America is because Captain America is not just a good person. He's a righteous person, right? He is a person that has, that believes in justice and purpose. And I think it's a little bit grander. Scott Lang is just a guy trying to do right by the people in his life. And he keeps Mm -hmm. making mistakes and he like is just trying to do the best he can with like the tools that have been given to him. Right. Um, And man, I relate to that so vividly like it is such like if i'm gonna picture myself as any mcu character it's gonna be scott lang because he's just a dude that's just trying to like he's just trying to be a good person and like he doesn't have these sort of like larger than life aspirations or any kind of big thing he just wants to like be a good dad and take care of his family and like be good to people and like that's it and like i really really appreciate that yeah i think that's right and i think um, that's part of what makes his role in Endgame coming up so interesting because he does step up because he has this unique knowledge and this unique experience that is important for literally saving the universe. Um, and so he ends up kind of stepping up and being with the big boys, which, okay, he fought side by side with Captain America in Civil War. But in Endgame, he's on a world saving, you know, end of the universe battle with the, you know, the actual Avengers. And... I think what everything you said about his more down to earth, 
small situation makes what he is in that film interesting. And I think they know that. I When they made Endgame, I think everything you just said about Ant-Man, they knew because he is kind of a, a, a fish out of water in that movie, but also playing it off in his Paul Rudd way of with good humor. You know, it's hilarious, but they're also, they're not, they don't just act like, yeah, okay, Ant-Man belongs here. Because uh, in everything he's done so far, he doesn't, but he manages to fit in by, I guess, being hilarious. But every, yeah, I agree. He's just yeah. such a good dude. Oh, go ahead, Chris. Yeah, I was, I'm just kind of going to agree. I, I think that he just has such a great, in, in, in his own movies, he has a great dynamic with uh, with his daughter. Uh, I One thing I that really stuck out to me watching Ant-Man and the Wasp this time yesterday um, was the relationship he has with his ex-wife and her new husband, uh and just how well they'll get along and that's just a really kind of positive thing to to be seeing in a movie uh, is a well-adjusted healthy relationship uh between exes well right and it's nice to see a character that isn't strapped by some sort of tragedy or you know some sort of calamity or isn't like a bad i want to call him a bad person but you know has doesn't have some sort of negative cloud around them he's just like He's just like a dude, you know? He's just like, yeah. he could be on this podcast, honestly, you know? like. Actually, we have Paul Rudd waiting in the background. <laughs> dude, I, we would, I would shit. Hey, Paul Rudd, head. how about them Chiefs? <laughs> we, Paul Rudd was here. We Who couldn't get, um, we couldn't get uh, Coulson, but we could get Scott Lang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just, well, and like, he just doesn't have any of those, na- like, if you take any of the prior marvel characters take any marvel character before ant-man and look at them they have some sort of tragedy they have gone through some sort of grand negative thing that has happened to them and they have to kind of overcome um you know captain america he died uh iron man you know he was rich he was rich and tortured (laughs) by you know well, and he's kind of like a bad person that has to go through adversity to kind of come out of it. You've got Doctor Strange, a lot of the similar, a lot of similarities. Basically, all of the Guardians are all misfits that no one's ever liked, and you know, it's just kind of this this kind of pattern where it's people kind of overcoming adversity in that way, and it's sort of put on a grandiose scale so that you can kind of relate to characters in your own. But I really appreciate Scott Lang because he does it on on what is more of a relatable field to me. Like I relate more to Scott Lang than I do to someone like Iron Man. But I've already talked about how I don't like Iron Man, so maybe that's not a good example. But you know what I mean. You know what I think it is? I think T'Challa. it's... T'Challa. T'Challa. There you go. Absolutely. I love T'Challa as a character, but I don't find that I personally relate to T'Challa, even though I absolutely love his character. If I was going to say I am a character, I relate to a character, it would be probably Scott Lang. I think that his trait that is that shines through, and and you're getting there, but I don't think you're putting your you're using the exact right word is warmth. I think he is the warmest mm. character yeah. in the MCU. Like yeah. uh, there's a lot of characters that resemble good, but he is just truly a warm person who is inviting and kind. And I think the difference is all of those people you just mentioned had either a good or okay life. And then tragedy struck them. Whereas Scott kind of took that in a different direction where he chose crime realized it wasn't the right thing to do and then has been trying to make up for it ever since and even the crime he did was like a robin hood kind of good crime (laughs) right right so 
So yeah, I think I and, think warmth is what he represents best. Yeah, and he's he's a big goofball, but he also does have uh, a you know a sincere core to him. Uh, like the the scene I think of is when he's talking to Hope later in this movie, and Hope is saying, "Oh, you know, what if you know they're talking about Janet?" Saying, "Oh, what if she doesn't remember me?" And he gets about as serious as Scott Lang ever gets, and says that you know when I was in jail. Uh, the one thing I thought of every day was Cassie and I could have been there a hundred years and I wouldn't forget her. And I know she's been counting the minutes until she can see you. It's like, Oh wow. You know, he does have, you know, some depth to him too. He's not just a goofy, you know, comic relief hero. He, he has, you know, some, some, you know, emotion and, and, and realness to him too. Yeah. He's great. And yeah. <laughs> if I could be best friends with anyone that isn't already part of my best friends, it would be Paul Rudd. He just Fine. seems like such a chill dude. <laughs> I'll accept it. Like, come on. Like, it's Paul Rudd, man. <laughs> Goodness gracious. All right. Well, Sorry, I had to pause ha- the cough. Paul Rudd is on your, um, what's that thing where, like, if it's a celebrity, your your significant other has a list of people you're allowed to cheat on with them? Your hall pass. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Paul Rudd is your best friend hall pass. <laughs> uh lang has a dream where he's in a strange house playing hide and seek with a girl he doesn't know when he finds the girl he looks at a mirror to see the face of selena kyle from batman (laughs) (laughs) y'all ever seen that the video of charles barkley reading the teleprompter where it's him going i'm a dumbass that was me just now i literally i literally hadn't I wasn't thinking about what I was reading at all, and I just read that verbatim. <laughs> but it's true. But it's true. It is true. <laughs> oh. uh, Lang realizes he was dreaming in the body of Janet Van Dyne and calls Hank, leaving a rambling voicemail about what he saw before deciding it sounds stupid. Later, Scott is stung and knocked out by an ant and awakens in the passenger seat of a van driven by Hope. Hope asks Scott if he thinks there was something to his dream and also chastises him for putting herself and her father at risk to help Cap. Cap. That's what we call him. I love that scene. (laughs) And then they so unexpectedly paid it off in Endgame, too. As with, like, a million other things in the MCU. Right, and uh, once again, going back to Scott Lang and why he's such a great character, Scott Lang is what we would be if we were in the MCU. Like, if Uh we had suddenly turned into MCU characters and were stressed in there, we'd be like him. We'd be like, oh, yeah, it's Cap. Everybody calls him Cap. You know, that's my boy. (laughs) It's what Miss Marvel ends up being in a lot of her Avengers stuff. It's like, yeah, yeah, she has super powers, but it's like, hey, it's the kid who likes Avengers, or now she's an Avenger. And she doesn't yeah. fit in with the Avengers because she's because <laughs> she's a fangirl. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's a good Hope point. Calm- Hope calms his fears about violating his house arrest by showing the van has been shrunk down. She placed the monitor on an ant in his home, instructed to follow his daily routine. <laughs> Clean. He's practice. in the bathroom for two hours a day, whatever that is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do that. <laughs> um. Hope takes Scott to Hank's secret lab where Hank asks Scott if he destroyed the Ant-Man suit. Scott says he did. Angry, Hank shows Scott he and Hope have built a large quantum tunnel to try and go to the quantum realm to rescue Janet. He All right, believes... hold up. Eduardo, yeah. please explain that science for the listeners. 
Well, you see, the quantum tunnel is a tunnel with the word quantum in front of it. So clearly it has some sort of significance with the TV show Quantum Leap. And Oh, boy. I mean, it's the same kind of time travel, right? Quantum and they've Leap completely and Endgame. They've completely built the whole thing except for one small clipboard that they haven't been able to insert into it yet. <laughs> I love that. They get that part and it's literally, it's not, this is what we need and we need to make it fit in our thing. It's no, it's just plug and play. It's, yeah. it's just really easy. It's just this little thing. Like it was literally built for this. Your quantum parts I... aren't plug and play. Come on. It's 2020. <laughs> I do enjoy that you see that a lot of the parts are like small things that have been expanded. Like there's a dial yeah. that is from like a guitar amp. That... And how the building's being powered by Duracell batteries. Oh yeah. <laughs> On the clock in the middle is a master lock, um, like a master lock dial too. Oh yeah. Yeah. They, uh, they do, they do a lot of fun things with, shrinking and growing in this movie yeah i don't i do enjoy a lot i don't think they did quite as many good set pieces as they did in the first one but that's because they did all the good ones in the first one they came up with a lot of a lot of new clever stuff to do this time yeah how are you supposed to top the toy train right you can't the salt shaker blocking the door is up there but uh uh-huh. the pez dispenser is pretty good yes the, pe- the, the best thing about the pez dispenser <clears throat> is that they do a scene where the car flips and it goes slow motion and silent until it crashes and it's loud. And then they do the exact same thing, but with the Hello Kitty Pez dispenser like right. one scene later. And it's like, okay, that's funny. It's like, they know that they can't top it. So they're just finding new ways to like play with it. And, and, and I enjoyed that immensely. Um, they explain they tested it the night before and five minutes after received Scott's voicemail. Um, despite Scott's fear of going to prison, Hank convinces Scott he owes the two of them and to help serve as an anchor to find Janet once the tunnel is finished. I enjoy also the line, we think when you're down there, you may have entangled with her. And he goes, Hank, I would never do that. I respect you too much. <laughs> quantum entanglement. <laughs> you people just put quantum in front of everything? Uh, That's how they do the science in this movie. You just say quantum it really and it works. Is. No wonder yeah. Scott Lang thinks that time travel is not what time travel is in Endgame. Good That's point. Quantum quantum physicists barely understand what quantum physics is. I think so. I uh, I, I think that actually kind of works for this. <laughs> Fair enough. The trio go to a restaurant for a meeting with the shrunk down lab in the back of the van rolled like a suitcase. Hope meets with black market tech dealer Sonny Birch to find a part for the tunnel. I will say my one of my favorite shrinking gags in the whole thing is all of the cars and the little Hot Wheels yeah. uh, carrying case. <laughs> God, oh, yeah. I love that. I think it's that brilliant. Was, that was fun. Birch reveals he found Hope is Hank's daughter and wants in on their research for his own profit. When Hope refuses, Birch tries to keep the money in the part, but Hope puts on her wasp suit scene post-credits in Ant-Man and uses the fight, size change, and blasting abilities to give <laughs> it gives her to beat up Birch's thugs and take the part. And has this scene introduces, in my opinion, the most awkward and cringeworthy line in the whole movie where Sonny yells, not my state of the art chandelier or my turn of the century chandelier. Like, like they couldn't think of another adjective to put in front of chandelier. So he, uh, a suave Southern gentleman yells my turn of the century chandelier in defiance of the situation. 
<laughs> Isn't sorry, he actually, he's supposed to be like a southern gentleman, right? I, he I is very much enjoy walking on than this. <laughs> no, no, no. I enjoy yeah. his character. I just think that line is super strange. Like it doesn't make any sense. It's also, just out of place. Yeah. Significant. This scene is the introduction of the first female title character in the MCU. Wow, that far in. No. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't have that realization oh, no. until this moment. Uh huh. And and it took way too long. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's uh, Perlmutter for you. If Perlmutter, I always thought that if Perlmutter had been in charge, the movie still would have been called Ant Man and the Wasp, but Wasp would have been in all caps, and it would have been an Ant Man Captain America team up. White Anglo Saxon Protestant. No, Never I got mind. it. I got there. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for spelling that out for me. Yeah. <laughs> it, look, it, it means white dude. Okay. <laughs> oh boy. I really like that. Line too. Favorite kind of superhero. I really like the line too. Is like, oh, wasp. you gave her wings and blasters. I guess you didn't have that technology. We did. I did. Yeah. I did. <laughs> uh, now this is the first time we get to see the, the wasp in action. And Robbie, you're a big fan of the wasp, right? You like the character. You like it specifically from the comics. How does this wasp stack up with your expectations? Uh, I am a big wasp fan, which feels like. I, had, I don't find many people that are big Wasp fans, but when I was a kid... I've been playing Animal Crossing a lot lately, and I am not a big Wasp fan. <laughs> I remember yes. when I was a kid, I think it was an, an issue of Spider-Man the magazine or something that was a Wasp story in it. And at that point in my life, other than Wonder Woman, I don't think I'd ever seen a female superhero. And I just thought that was so cool. I thought it was cool that it's a female superhero. It's, it's bad that that stood out to me as, wow, a female could be a superhero. But I thought it was cool. Um... I was also really excited when my brother beat Metroid when I was a kid. Uh, same reason. Mm-hmm. Um, Metroid's but... a girl? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I just, I liked her immediately just because I thought it was interesting that there was a female superhero. Also, at that point in my life, most of my experience with superheroes was Batman and Superman and Captain America. And I think we talked about this part of why I like Spider-Man so much is Spider-Man has a personality. He's not you know, a cardboard espousing platitudes that sound good to children. He tells jokes and he has, you know, humor and and some sass to him. And uh, Wasp was the same thing. Um, and if you go back and read the first Avengers, she's always been the same thing. Um, her sass has kind of evolved a little bit, but she has always been someone that has a little bit more personality and humor to her than a lot of the people around her. Uh, and that's something that attracted me to her. Um, so I've always, I've loved Janet Van Dyne. Um, she's always been, other than maybe Iron Man, my favorite Avenger. Um, and maybe my favorite comic book character after Peter Parker. Um, she was a founding Avenger. She gave them their name. Uh, she's had a lot of very interesting arcs. She was in the Avengers, but she doesn't really carry her own um, comic, but um, she's always interesting in the Avengers. She uh, was actually the, the head of the Avengers for a while, uh, which is super cool. Um, she has a cool power set. The shrinking is cool, and the flying is cool, and the, the little lasers she shoots are cool. So I just, I love Janet Van Dyne, and part of why I was disappointed about, the, and not that excited about this movie, was because they didn't have Janet Van Dyne in the MCU. They went with uh, Hope Van Dyne, which is a mishmash of uh, characters that basically don't really exist, um, and there was no Janet Van Dyne. They obviously referenced that Janet Van Dyne existed in this universe. She just wasn't going to be the one that was in the movies with the costume. And that was something that made me a little less excited about the film. 
that said, while she's a little takes herself a little bit more seriously than Janet does in the comics, Hope still kicks a lot of ass um, and is actually really cool. And I cannot stop myself from absolutely geeking out at this scene. It is just so cool. And the music is cool. And even though mm-hmm. the name isn't the same and the personality isn't the same, that doesn't really matter in a fight scene. And it's a really, really cool fight scene. Um, watching her costume in, you know, actually in action is really, really cool. Um, so while I'm disappointed that there's no Janet and I would love that that uh, 1960s spy thriller with her that I mentioned, um, Hope is still really cool. She's an interesting character and, and seeing the Wasp suit finally in the MCU is really great. Um, I'm still upset that they didn't do it in time for them to be in Avengers as they originally planned, but at least they got it done in time for Endgame and she got to have some cool scenes in Endgame. Um, and another thing I would add is the crux of this movie uh, rests on a man who's trying to rescue his long-lost wife, which is in a vacuum. That is an interesting potential plot in the mcu where at this point we have all these established characters we have massive massive stakes uh that's not necessarily we don't the audience doesn't know who janet van dyne is other than missing wife and so we're not trying to save someone any of us has an emotional attachment to in this film and yet i actually feel like i do have an emotional attachment because when i'm watching this movie i'm oh they're gonna get janet they're gonna get janet janet's gonna be in the movie they're gonna get janet and so i find that because i care about the character from other you know from movies and cartoons and are not movies from comic books and cartoons and video games i end up kind of caring about the character in the movie even though we've never never seen her other than with a helmet on and a brief flashback um Mm. so i was i some of me is disappointed but that doesn't mean that this isn't still a really cool wasp to watch how did did you feel when they announced that michelle pfeiffer was going to play janet like were you excited about that i didn't have strong feelings um because it seemed obvious to me she's going to be old and she's not going to be the superhero in this movie and um Mm -hmm. so i didn't have strong feelings um i actually i think evangeline lily is is perfectly great um she's not playing janet um but had you know all the way back in avengers had they said evangeline lily to play wasp i would have been pretty excited um so but i i guess i didn't have strong feelings on michelle pfeiffer i like her as an actress so it's fine but i knew she wasn't going to play I was excited she was going to be in the movie, um, if that makes sense, but not necessarily excited about how she was going to be in the movie. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's my rant. I like Wasp. Do you think <laughs> that some of the personalities between Ant-Man and the Wasp have sort of been switched because of the way that oh. Paul Rudd is and Evangeline Lilly? Oh, absolutely. Now, Evangeline Lilly, and let me also say something about Hank Pym's abuse, which I, for anyone that is vaguely aware of the comics is aware that that's part of the character. Um, it's not cool that Hank Pym is abusive in the comics. It is, however, yet another thing that adds depth to Janet Van Dyne and is something that um, uh, the character goes through something more personal than just saving the world from scrolls or something. Um, and she grows from that and you know deals with something horrible while staying strong. And so Hank sucks, but Janet doesn't. And it's an interesting uh, character trait watching her grow through that in some of the older comics. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Other than the fact that I wouldn't call Hope in the movie abusive. I absolutely think that a little bit... They're not exactly like... Paul Rudd is not playing male Janet Van Dyne, but I do think that um, in the comics, Hank is the straight man, and in the movie, uh, Hope in the Wasp is the straight man. Uh, and so, yeah, that's actually kind of an interesting interesting point to make. 
I mean, because this movie is, if you boil it down to its its uh, like smallest parts, it's like a buddy cop movie, right? Between yes. him and the, at least that's the intention. Yes, to mm-hmm. be a buddy cop, and so one of them has to be, you know, the straight man. The other one has to be like the mm-hmm. the comedic relief, and mm-hmm. it's very clear which one is which. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> I have a weird segue actually from what you just said. Not about Wasp, but about Hank being abusive. I actually think this movie showcases that a lot. Um, you can kind of see in the way that um, that Hank is acted that he kind of has like a like a toxic quality to him. Yes. Like he gets mad very quickly. Uh, yeah, the temper is it like flares up real fast. Um, like. You don't necessarily see it when he finally meets Janet again because it's been so long, but they do have a small fight while Paul is uh, Paul Rudd is channeling um, his his best Janet. So yeah, part of me seems that they did want to acknowledge they wanted this to in a way be the same Hank without showing the same Hank. So yeah. I think you're probably right about that. Yeah. I don't have too much more to say about that, but I thought about it as I was listening to some of his his dialogue, and I was like, oh, he's like yeah, kind of showing his asshole. Yeah, I think it's... if they ever did go back, they could not really get away with having an authentic portrayal of Hank Pym because that that Hank Pym would frankly be the villain today. And well, you probably something won't I agree get your... with. Like, Hank, Hank you Pym won't is get an absolute asshole. Yes, he's not yeah. a cool asshole. He's an actual asshole. Um, yeah. So if they w- go back, I don't think they'd be able to acknowledge that. I think they'd have to take some liberties. And and I do think it's interesting. Uh, watching it yesterday, Angela made the point that he Hank is kind of like Tony Stark in that everybody hates him. <laughs> like like every character they meet in this movie hates Hank Pym, mm-hmm. and. And it turns out that all the problems were caused by Hank Pym mm-hmm. and him being a jerk, you know, back in the mm-hmm. in the seventies or whenever it was that these things happened. And he's not the most likable person. He has some he has redeeming qualities, definitely. And and the, and it looks like they are not going to go as far as making him an abusive husband in this. But But will they merge him with Ultron? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there we go. Uh, <laughs> But but he is definitely not, you know, a nice person <laughs> in, in this. I mean, yeah, the that's first a fair movie's point. all about him being a bad father, I, a bad I, daddy, a bad daddy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you were my father, Hank, but you were never my daddy. <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> On that note, uh, yeah, let's, let's move on. <laughs> Before Hope can leave, she's attacked by a stranger in a white suit with the ability to phase in and out of reality. Hank hands Scott a prototype Ant-Man suit to help Hope. The two fight her off, but she escapes, threatens Hank, and steals the lab. I thought, when I first saw this scene, I thought Hank was dead. When her yeah, arm same. was through his neck, oh, yeah. I was mm-hmm. like, well, there goes Hank Pym. We just lost yeah, him. I, like, thought, I they... thought he was dead. Well, and you think about that how this the villains in this movie end up being that means we accepted that it was going to be a really dark dark villain in that right. moment and then yeah it wasn't but yeah 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 i thought the same thing i thought she just killed him I'm like oh man they're playing for keeps this time and they weren't 
The group goes to meet Pym's former S.H.I.E.L.D. partner, Bill Foster, Morpheus from The Matrix, and this is how we connect the Matrix universe to the Marvel universe. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, where he or, now... uh, Cowboy Larry from uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse. Yes. <laughs> no. no, I like Morpheus better. <laughs> where Morpheus now teaches to help track down the lab. Um, Foster explains he and Hank had a falling out over Hank's stubbornness. Interesting. Um, Foster is impressed by Scott's ability to grow in size successfully, having dabbled a technique himself when working Cowboy with Curtis. Hank. I'm sorry, I said it wrong. <laughs> The FBI arrives after members of the campus identified the three of he- uh, the three heroes. The group gets away with a tip by Foster on how to track the quantum tunnel to find the lab. Foster's- we look like ourselves at a baseball game. <laughs> <laughs> See, Paul Rudd lampshades everything in the movie. I'm telling He's you, so great. I have a personal anecdote. One time, I worked at a place where sometimes famous people would go. And mm-hmm. one time, one of those famous people is Neil Patrick Harris, and I, I helped him sit in a in a vehicle uh, that was about to go, and I didn't realize that it was him because he was wearing a baseball cap and sunglasses. Okay, I can top that, because not that long ago, I put a person who may or may not have played a genetically engineered 19-folder soldier on a ride that may or may not eat the tourists when the power goes out. And did not recognize him, despite the fact that the hat he was wearing to look like he was at a baseball game was literally an Infinity War hat. <laughs> wow. That's funny. The us at a baseball game tactic works. Yeah, it, it does. You know, I, I laughed at that joke. I was like, no, but it works. It works. If you're not expecting to see a famous person, you won't recognize the famous person. So this is bad. I was I knew I was with a famous person, just didn't know who it was, despite the fact that he is a very recognizable famous person who was wearing a hat from his very recognizable movie that had just come out. Yeah. Oh my god. Did gosh. you do you assume everybody in a forward baseball cab and sunglasses is a famous person? I assume they are when just I'm in told case? they're a famous person and to escort them quickly backstage so no one sees them. Oh, okay. <laughs> Whatever backstage means, yeah. Yeah. There there was also a time, uh do you remember that show Ripley's Believe It or Not? Yeah, believe it or not, I do. And and Dean Cain was the host of it. Dean Cain, who had played Clark Kent on Superman. Well, I didn't realize it was the same Dean Cain until one of his intros. He happened to be wearing glasses, and I was like, "Oh my god, he's Clark Kent!" (laughs) It all makes sense now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, New Adventures of Superman. Yeah, because he 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 was like, I think it, it wasn't until I saw him with glasses that I realized, oh, that's the guy from Superman. And then I was like. I can never make fun of Clark Kent's disguise ever again <laughs> because it worked on me. Uh, Foster is interrogated by Agent Wu, who covers for Pym, saying they weren't here. The trio find the hideout of the previous assailant they now call Ghost. Hope expresses her resentment over Scott's Germany antics was less about the danger he put them in and more about not taking her with him. While they look yeah. for the lab... Ghost Drag him for not having her in Civil War. Drag him! <laughs> Yeah, but then you would have had to get one other person to match her on the other side. I think the real reason was that Peyton Reed was like, no, I want to introduce the Wasp. He's like, I'll let you have Giant Man, but I get the Wasp. Which I think makes sense. It does, yeah. Because yeah. I know he was bummed about not being able to debut Giant Man, but he was glad that he got to 
give the wasp her introduction. While they look for the lab, Ghost surprises Scott and Hope and knocks them both out. When they come to, they are tied up along with Hank. Ghost tells them she is Ava Starr, daughter of a scientist who was fired and discredited by Hank Pym for his work on a quantum tunnel. After excuse me, after being fired, her father tried to build the tunnel anyway, and it exploded, killing both her parents. Instead of dying, Ava's molecules are in constant flux, being ripped apart and sewn back together. This gives her abilities but causes her intense pain. Her suit helps her control both. Now, previous to this movie, I had never actually heard of Ghost, but it seems like the three of you are a little bit more familiar with the character than I am. And Peaches, you uh, you, you wanted to talk about how kind of different this is than the comic Ghost. Yeah, I think for the... I think for the purpose of this movie, Ghost works out well the way that they spun her. Um, but Ghost in the in the M- the Marvel comics uh, is very different. Um, I would say, and and I had this conversation with you guys in the group chat, but I think there are maybe only one or two other characters in the MCU so far that are so different from their source material. But in this case, I think it worked out pretty well i mean it's worked out pretty well in all cases but so for the background ghost in marvel comics uh is a guy and we don't know what his name is his name has like not been revealed and he was this brilliant scientist it's actually speaking of relatable things i'm not saying that i or any of us are brilliant brilliant scientists no no no. (laughs) but but he is like this brilliant scientist that save saved some company that he was working for like billions of dollars by coming up with some something right that they started using and then he wanted to go on a vacation and the company didn't want him to go on vacation they wanted to keep working him because he was really smart so they hired somebody to fake bump into him at the airport who was a female and they fell in love and they lived in an apartment together and then the girl tried to exploit that company for more money so the company murdered her and then he uh ended up in some explosion. This is the part where it's similar. Okay, uh, I was about to ask. Yeah, yeah. he ended like, up in some knowledge. explosion that uh, that gave him these like ten. And they, they call it intangibility powers uh, in the comics that allowed him to like phase through things. But he's not really named, and he is a villain, but sort of more of an anti-hero. He joins the Thunderbolts at one point, mm-hmm. and. Um, he really has it out for corporations. He he wants to burn corporations to the ground because they've treated him like shit and ruined his life. Um, so very different from Ava other than the intangibility thing. Did you say um, that he's originally from Iron Man comics? Yeah, he's primarily an he's Iron an, Man villain. He's an Iron Man villain more than anything else. Yeah. Well, uh, here's the thing. I think, and, and I think this is why Ghost fit in with y- this universe, is that Ant-Man plays more of a full Avengers game, right? Like, there's not a ton of yes. Ant-Man-specific yeah. villains. It's Avengers villains, and Ant-Man right. is a part of that team. Correct. So if you're going to create a second <clears throat> Ant-Man movie, you're probably going to need to borrow some villain from somewhere else. Well, and But the here's closest... the thing. They borrow one that is also not very well-known, so maybe mm-hmm. it was a gamble no matter what they did. Well, now I would also say the closest thing Ant-Man has to an arch nemesis is Ultron, which they gave to Tony Stark in the MCU. So this was a trade. This is this was the Oswald the Lucky Rabbit trade of the MCU. Yeah. But here's (laughs) here's the thing. I don't think that this movie has an actual villain. 
and I'll talk about my my. Agreed. I'll go in more in depth on that later. I don't if think it this makes movie you feel any better. Lore. You are one of three people that put that same point. Yeah. In their notes. <laughs> and and so the way that they handled Ghost, like totally changing her up, but then the way that she was used in the movie, I think it works and it's it's interesting. I think her character, the character itself, has a lot of, uh, not a lot of. It has a few flaws that like we go back to this thing we're talking about earlier. Like, why does it make sense? Because you put the word quantum in front of it. Like, I think her character has plot holes of its own, but maybe that's a result of the phasing that she does. Like example, when you first meet her outside of the suit, she has a horror movie vibe. Like she's talking to Scott and she's like, playing with her fingers and she's like talking to him. Like she's about to seduce him. And then she wakes the other two up by like, elbowing them in the back but then she acts totally different from that the rest of the movie you never see that like horror movie side of her again she either goes full badass or then she's like oh Lawrence Fishburne Morpheus you've saved me you're my best friend now like she's (laughs) kind of all over the place that being said it's interesting you said that about her personality because that's not how I got it that's not how I interpreted it at all I interpreted it more childlike than anything, not necessarily Uh seduction, but more her acting like a child, like, hi, Scott, I need something from you, and I'm acting like the only thing I know how to act, which is a little kid, because I guarantee she hasn't interacted with people. Yeah, Yeah, that's how I interpreted it. Maybe that's more accurate. But the the point is, she changes from whatever that personality is to all the other ones she, like, mishmashes between in the whole movie. But that being said, I still, I, I like the concept of the character, and I think that for this movie to work, if they were going to use Ghost, they couldn't use the down with the corporations thing. I mean, because because Pym Industries doesn't exist right now, right? Because He's then in it would have been too topical of a movie. Right. It would have been way too topical. <laughs> Plus, Scott was already down with corporations in the first one. Right. Right. Exactly. I will say I do actually really like the effects that they have. Uh, even when she's not doing her phasing thing, but like the, the visual effects around yes. her. Where oh yeah you're seeing like a ghostly image of her like a second in the future simultaneously with her like in the present so you like if she's about to scream like you'll see like a faint image of her screaming before she screams it's hard to describe visual uh, uh, describe verbally uh but it works really well in the film and one of uh, my favorites it kind of made me th- yeah no one of my favorites to what you just said in this version that i just caught this time um on this rewatch was there's a, a shot where she walks through a door, but one of her ghost images is reaching to open the door. But yep. It doesn't need to because she walks through it. It's that's what I was yeah. just gonna say. Like oh, I wow. think some of her, I think some of her phasing is like different versions of her trying to. Like maybe she didn't phase through the door in that version, mm-hmm. so she had to push it open. But you can see the like very transparent image of her pushing the door open while the present oh, day I version. Walks yeah, I think it was it. really well done. Yeah, I'll get the watch. I like the words time. you put it into, Chris. Those are cool <laughs> effects. Yeah, yeah. So Foster so yeah. arrives. Ghost. Oh, go ahead. Did you have nope, that's it. I was just thumbs upping to the people that can't hear a thumbs up. <laughs> Foster <laughs> arrives and explains he encountered Ava when she was with Shield and is determined to help her find a cure for her condition. Foster believes the quantum energy Janet is projecting to Scott can be used to cure Ava, but Hank believes this will kill Janet. Hank fakes a heart attack. Okay, let me stop there. Because this point in the movie, I like like strongly disagree with Hank. 
Like, yep. there's a point in the movie, and it's it's a little later where Hank and Lawrence Fishburne. I don't. Remember, I've just said his character Foster. Are, Bill Foster, um, yeah. Morpheus. Bill, Morpheus. Goliath. <laughs> <laughs> they're sitting there and they're talking, and he's like. Let me get, excuse me, let me get Janet back and then we'll find a cure for this girl that's about to die in days. And I'm like, no, the girl, like, save the girl that's about to die. Then get your wife. Like, she's been in there for years. What's another, you know, couple hours while you figure out why this girl is going to die? Because at the time, you don't, you don't really understand mm-hmm. what it's going to take to, like, save this girl. Right. He just knows that it might affect Janet. And, like, it's like... I don't know. It feels kind of uh, a little selfish is, from Hank Pym. This is the kind of movie with the kind of science where yada yadaing it is okay, but I think they yada yada the science just a little too much in this because I think, I think this this the fact that this technology will save this girl but kill this person that we don't even know if she's still there. That's all handled in a couple sentences now. Thankfully, those dramatic sentences are hilariously interrupted by an annoying ringtone, which is one of my, literally probably my favorite (laughs) gag in the entire MCU, is Lawrence Fishburne's dramatic villain monologue being interrupted over and over by a quack ringtone. (laughs) But at the same time, this is, the plot 100% hinges around this science, and they don't actually really convince you that it makes sense. Well, they add another MacGuffin later that makes it even more yada yada sciencey, where they're like, okay, the portal to where I right. am at in this quantum area will only be open for exactly two hours. So make sure you get in there within that time. Like, really? I can only get you now. I've lived through 30 right. years of not seeing you, and I lucked into building yes. this quantum tunnel at the quantum yes. time where I can quantum get you quantum yeah. two hours from now. Quantum. <laughs> lucky yep no i agree yeah i just think it's not explained well because at the time when i was watching it i was like honestly i think he should just be saved trying to save this girl yes. and then going to get janet like where's she going she's just she's been in the quantum realm for you know 30 years where she where she got to be you right. know like, and she's got powers now she likes it down there right it's her being there for a little while longer or this girl dying which one are you gonna pick you know like at least if it were me, I think I would know which one I would pick over the other one. Maybe ones. Janet never punched him through the neck. Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> He's like, that girl punched me through the neck. She's not worth it anymore. Right. Yeah, it, it, I think this is something we're going to keep talking about as the third act goes on. But I think, Eduardo, what you're saying is this movie is brilliant characters played really brilliantly with like a nothing plot. It's the weirdest movie. I'm captivated by everyone on screen, but I don't care what they're talking about or what they're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Hank fakes a heart attack to get Foster to hand over his medicine, but it is revealed to be a trap of ants, which grow and help the three heroes escape with the lab. Hank puts his lab in the woods and finishes the quantum tunnel. Luis contacts Scott, saying he needs to help he needs his help with final details of their business deal, and Scott tells Luis the location of the lab. With the tunnel activated, Janet takes control of Scott, reuniting with her husband and daughter, helping them find her location, and telling them they ha- only have two yada, hours yada, yada. to come get her. <laughs> right. I two like quantum the, hours. I like when they cut back to Scott, or, or when Scott's standing there as Janet, and then he's not Janet anymore, and he goes, no, I got right. nothing. How do we get up Again, there? Everyone in this scene is great, except for the scene itself. <laughs> Not making any sense. Right. Like I like how he 
he very clearly, if you look at his shoulders, he very clearly, when he's not sure how he got up there, puts his hands on his hips and like looks around. But then the next scene, he lifts up his hand and he's holding Hank's hand. Like, did you also put Hank's hand on your hip with you? <laughs> that's kind of weird, dude. <laughs> that's another, that's a nitpick. But th- I feel like the Cinema Sins counter could have racked up, could have broken the counter during this movie. Yeah. I don't know. Is there a Cinema Sins of Ant-Man and the Wasp? There probably is. Probably. Uh, I think it's so. probably really annoying. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to watch it, but I'm just curious. <laughs> Foster reveals to Ghost that without Hank's help, she probably only has a couple of weeks left before she pays to nothing. So Ghost <laughs> determines to use Cassie to get the lab back, but Foster says he won't help her if she does. Ghost then says she has another idea and storms out. Okay, who wants to talk about the third act of the movie slash the movie stakes first? <laughs> All three of the next points are all right here, right in a row. So who wants to go first? Uh, so I'll go because I'll give my point, and then Chris can give his counterpoint, and then Peaches can be somewhere in the middle. Um, I, I have seen into the future. Sounds like Peaches. <laughs> the quantum future. Uh, so and, and a lot of this is stuff we've already talked about. Um, the acting is great. The humor is com- great. The characters are compelling. And as I was rewatching this movie. I found myself really, really into every scene as I was watching the first two thirds of the movie. I loved everyone's delivery of their character and, and Paul Rudd's comedy. And um, does anyone off the top of their head know the actress who played Ghost? Um, uh, oh, I looked it up yesterday. I looked it up today. Uh, uh, Hannah John Kanan. Um, I don't know why I thought Vera. I don't recognize her from everything, but now I kind of want to watch her and other stuff because she's great as Ghost, this anonymous villain that we keep crapping on. Um, Lawrence Fishburne is... I say good things. Lawrence Fishburne is fantastic. Even Michelle Pfeiffer is fantastic in her limited role. Everyone's fantastic in this movie. The characters, the characters in terms of their dialogue and their interactions are all so well written. And so I'm watching this like, why don't I have fond memories of this movie? And it's really not even that. It's not so much that I remember this movie poorly. It's that I do not remember this movie, period. And, and this is like the fourth time I've watched it. And every time it immediately exits my consciousness as something that ever happened. And it's because of what starts happening in, in this third act. And also, and a lot of that comes from um, the villains. The villains are interesting characters. Bill Foster is not a bad guy. He's doing some things that are opposite to the heroes to try and save someone he cares about. He's not a villain. Ghost isn't even necessarily a villain. She takes some brutal tactics because she's a scared girl who doesn't know how to save her life as she's going through what's basically horror. And I think in a different franchise, Ghost could have been played as horror and tragedy in a very, very convincing way. But that wouldn't fit in the MCU. Um, And certainly not in an ant Right, and so, so there's not really much in the way of stakes i feel not only not only is it all wrapped in science that doesn't make sense um or at least it's fine if science doesn't make sense make the science make sense do your movie thing to make the science make sense and i feel like they skipped that step in this movie um do your movie thing right um and so the the villains aren't villains and yeah okay there's the there's the little restaurant gang they're villains they're comedic relief. They're not in any way threatening whatsoever. So there's not, there's nothing, no one is doing anything that is dangerous or scary in this movie. Um, one person we have not seen yet in the franchise is at risk. And one per, another person who is the ostensible, the villain in all the advertising is at risk. These two people are at risk. 
I'm not saying their lives don't matter, but I am saying the stakes are really, really low and there's not really a villain which is meaningful to me in a superhero movie. Because the acting is so good and because the the sets are so good and the the humor is so good and the writing is so good in terms of the dialogue, it's not a bad movie. It's just what it ends up feeling like to me is a few good episodes of a good MCU television show. Like it's not it's not a big great movie. It's just yeah, these, those are those were some good episodes. I, I really liked you know the the Hello Kitty slow motion crash. Um, and then then it has it sticks in my memory of like a like a solid 90s romantic comedy like it's it was funny i enjoyed it i mostly forgot about it after i watched it which again isn't saying it's a bad movie it's just saying it feels weird in the mcu because as the movie goes on and as happens in an action movie the characters stop talking because they're in the middle of action and the talking is what's good in this movie that third act just starts being all these action set pieces around something that ultimately doesn't feel threatening or important or even really easy to understand counterpoint chris (laughs) you know it's weird because i'm gonna say a lot of the same things you did but not as a bad thing i guess uh because i i i actually i i enjoy that the ant-man franchise has carved out uh in its own little low stakes corner of the mcu uh because i not every superhero movie has to have some world ending threat that uh, at its core uh and most of the marvel movies have had that and both ant-man and ant-man and the wasp are considerably lower stakes and i remember even seeing excuse me um thinking after i saw it the first time i was like you know that felt like an extra long episode of agents mm-hmm. of shield and i don't mean that as a bad thing uh, because even structurally, it's like okay, we found uh, oh, here's a former Shield scientist, and here's a character whose life has been ruined by by Shield science, and then they end up helping her in the end to it to overcome so that to make amends, even in in itself. Yeah, and 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 for me, that's not a bad thing. And this movie either benefits from or suffers from being the movie that came out after infinity war uh because for me it was like a palate cleanser it's like because infinity war was everything like on top like absolutely everything it could throw at you pretty much and then this was like and here's a fun romp <laughs> and <laughs> i enjoy that and and i wonder if you watched ant-man civil war ant-man and the wasp in a row and ignore and, and didn't watch the rest of the movies like would people maybe feel differently about it without it having to be in infinity war shadow uh, uh it's immediate shadow i i don't know but but i i enjoy that you know ant-man is going to be kind of the the fun lower stakes i mean still high personal stakes for the people involved but not like and if ant-man fails the world will end so let me say Even, that I- no, go ahead. I was just going to say, even even tougher challenge than we issued a couple episodes ago. Is there anybody out there who has only watched Ant-Man, Civil War, and Ant-Man and the Wasp? <laughs> Find them. I think it's absolutely... I'm just a big Paul Rudd fan, okay? I do think it's fine that the stakes are lower. It's just in this one, it almost feels to me like there's no stakes... Like, I know that, that Hope gives the, or Hope, Janet gives the window of, gotta find me in two hours, but like, 
it's been 30 years feels like they'll just find her again and then and maybe they yada yada that science but not in a way that convinces me that there's an actual stake for hope when they talk about how ghost might rip her apart they say might you don't know that again doesn't feel like stakes and then even even at the end you've got ghost going on her little thing and while her she's fighting people you know that it's just because she's trying to save herself and you also know that hank has said oh we'll find her a cure so as this movie goes on other than the fact that there's some gangsters with guns it doesn't actually feel like anyone like the, it doesn't even feel like there's any stakes let alone small stakes to me yeah, Walt Goggins is the only actual bad guy in this movie, yes. and he never really feels like an, an important threat. Right. <laughs> He's violated some health codes that you wouldn't believe. Yeah, that so, would shock you. Yeah, I just, I just had another epiphany about why this movie is even more like what we're experiencing right now, because there's no stakes. <laughs> I can't get any stakes. I'm trying to get some sirloins and some ribeyes, and I can't get any. This is a bad joke, but it's true. I really want some steaks. My Publix steak. is doing pretty okay. well on beef. Here's my think I lean more towards Robbie middle ground on this. I think at the time that this movie came out and, you know, the whole point of this, it's in the title, is that this is a retrospective. But I do want to point back to when this first movie came out or this movie first came out. This is what the MCU needed. Like this needed to be a palate cleanser, because how are you supposed to follow up Infinity War? Unless you're going straight into Endgame, which they're not going to do. They're going to let that marinate for a little while. Like you have to you have to follow up that movie with something that's not even close to serious because you've just wrecked a bunch of people. So at the time, this movie did its job like it did exactly what it was meant to do. It was refreshing and lighthearted and like it gave people a little I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say hope, but it was it was nice to not think about all of the it, it did give people hope. Um, <laughs> no, disgusting. It 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 allowed people to stop thinking about all the tragedy that happened in Infinity War until, you know, the post credit scene. But we'll talk about that later. But now that we're watching it in 2020 as part of this retrospective, we have the knowledge of the resolve of the Infinity War saga. We know that that story gets tied up mostly pretty with a bow. And now that you go back and you watch this story, you're right. There's no, there's, I never once during this movie feel like there are consequences that I should care about. It's all this like people talking some fake science back and forth a lot. It is funny. Like you said, all the positive things are true. But at no point am I worried about what's going to happen to a single character in this movie, even if the stakes are just personal, because it just seems like it's um, it, it's just it's just meaningless plot for the most part. And, you know, that's maybe that's harsh. Maybe that's very harsh to say, but I just uh, I don't. I don't find that the movie really does anything for me anymore. It was effective at the time. And now I might watch it if I had to, for the purpose of a retrospective podcast. You know, that's very interesting that you say that because I don't disagree with the word you said. And yet for me, it was the opposite where when I first saw it, that bothered me because I was on the high of infinity war and wanted this continuation. And this was like this side story where nothing happened. And now in rewatching it, it, retrospectively 
I've seen Endgame, I've gotten End- Infinity War and Endgame out of my s- system, and I found myself enjoying... I wouldn't say... This is not my favorite MCU movie, but I do think I enjoyed it a little bit more now, removed from the high of being between Endgame, Infinity War and Endgame. So, like, everything you said is correct. I think it just affected me in the opposite direction. Interesting. Okay, well, then I will... Circle back. Where are you on this spectrum? I will circle back and say I lean a little bit more towards Chris. And that's not to say I disagree with anything you guys have said about there not being stakes or anything like that. I just don't really care. Like, <laughs> I don't think this movie is supposed to have stakes. And I'm almost honestly a little fatigued with the movies needing to have stakes to... to and I, I get Marvel movies are different and Marvel movies, you know, that's kind of part of the formula sort of stakes and, you know, something, you know, happening like that. But I almost feel like this movie, like it should be treated like other movies in its its class. And it, I don't think it necessarily needs stakes to be an enjoyable film. Like I sit down, I watch it, I have a good time and I get up and I walk away. Not because the plot is, you know, the best thing in the world, but because there are a lot of likable characters and I, I have a good time while watching it. And so... Like I said, I don't disagree with what you guys are saying. I just don't, you know, it doesn't really matter to me. I just enjoy the movie for what it is rather than needing it to have. Like, I just, I guess for me, stakes, like if I think of like, um, let's take another Paul Rudd movie, right? I love you, man. There are no stakes in I love you, man. At the end of I love you, man, you know, the man's going to love the other man because they're bros and they're good friends. There are stakes. No matter what. trials and tribulations they go through at the end of the day yeah but it depends on how you what you describe as stakes because technically there are stakes in this movie but they're not believable stakes because you don't ever know you know that no one's ever gonna everybody's gonna come out oh. of the side okay right but then they're all punching each other I mean, for I no reason you, <laughs> i guess you could say the stakes at least partially in this movie are is scott going to ruin his chance of of finishing up his house arrest and being able to move on with his life. I will I will say there's a little bit of anxiety around the house arrest yeah. plot. I think my Maybe. point is that there are stakes, but who cares because I don't think it's the point of the movie. Whether that's successful or not is beside the point, but I think the movie, I don't think it cruxes on having stakes or not having stakes. But now I want steak. Same, but I can't get any. Damn. This is where I'd eat my steak. If I had one. (laughs) Um, All right. So on his way out the door, Luis and his associates are surprised by Birch, who thinks Luis can help lead them to Lang. Luis is given a truth serum. Who are you and how do you know so much about car wash protocol? (laughs) 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 And is asked where Lang is, responding with a long-winded Luis story, which is... The best parts of these movies, honestly. Oh, yeah. And, and bringing aspects. it back by, by using the truth serum, I think, was very funny. As well and as I, re- I enjoyed mm-hmm. the running gag of, it's not truth serum. Well, sounds like truth serum. <laughs> <laughs> I'm asking, like the... where is Scott? Oh, I'm trying to tell you where he is emotionally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where is he right now? Literally. Which, by the way, right after that, I, I earlier said that the... Uh, the Morpheus speech being interrupted is the best gag in the MCU. I also think when Ghost appears, where yeah. in the woods? And everyone I think that might also be the best gag in I the MCU. I had completely <laughs> forgotten about that, and I laughed. 
<laughs> so I had to watch this while my wife was working from home and meant I had to repeatedly pause it because she was doing something important. But she could not work for like five <laughs> minutes. She was laughing so hard at that scene. It's great. <laughs> Baba Yaga. <laughs> the Baba Yaga running gag is also good. The anime movies have great running yes. gags. I, I, I said they, yes. are, they are struck... They, more than any of them, they are the ones that are structured like traditional comedies, and right. I, I think they're very funny traditional comedies. And I really like how in the flashbacks, rather than being random people, it was Scott, it was Hope, it was all of the people that, like all the same actors doing the Luis <laughs> yeah. voice, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. You tell them important because my haircut says business. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. The brief, uh, brief aside, just to say, Evangeline Lilly's hair is so much better in this movie. Oh my goodness, than it was loads in better. One hundred percent. It is talking about that in the Ant Man episode, but yeah, let her look. And I was, I was on team. I just think Evangeline Lilly is great, so whatever. <laughs> but her haircut is better in this one. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. I remember haircuts. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Birch impatiently asks Luis where Lang is presently, and when Luis tells him the woods, Ghost appears, terrifying everyone and getting the exact location from Luis. Not wanting to deal with Ghost, Birch calls Agent Wu's partner to tip him off, saying he wants the lab in exchange for the arrest. Luis warns Scott about the FBI's arrival. When Scott tells Hope and Hank, they are very angry with him again at not being able to rely on him and tell him to leave. Hank and Hope get arrested by the I FBI. I thought they were Ghost very unfair to Scott in this scene, by the way. Because yes, I think he agreed. is completely justified to be like, I didn't want to leave my house. I didn't want to risk uh, breaking my parole, breaking my house arrest two days before it's up so I can actually have a life with my daughter again. I think I think that they were very unfair to him here. I will say I interpret it as they're being emotional. They are very, very focused on their loved one disappearing and trying to save her and that being in jeopardy and they are handling that emotion the way a human would like say if your girlfriend's father yes killed her. <laughs> yes no killed her yeah. <laughs> i agree but I, then I agree the look that, yeah. that hank gives scott as he's actually leaving is like you personally have ruined this <laughs> so i don't know I, yeah. I i agree they're being pretty unfair in this case uh, Scott gets home with the help of a distraction from Cassie before Agent Wu can find him out of his home. Wu oh, yes, him... another thing that reminded me of today when she goes, Daddy's super <laughs> sick and he he doesn't want anyone else to get sick. <laughs> so you can't go here. <laughs> he barfed. Escapism. <laughs> you know, this movie was escapism at one point. <laughs> uh, Wu lets him know Hank and Hope have been taken in and he'll be back to end his sentence soon. Scott expresses regret, and Cassie tells him he needs hope as a partner after realizing it can't be herself. And let me tell you how much I love the dynamic between Hope, or not, excuse me, between Cassie and Scott. Um, Me too. It is so great, and I'll get into this in a second, but specifically, the chemistry these two actors have with each other is so fantastic and the way they interact is so they're both so lovable and you know warm was a fantastic word to use they're both so warm and it's such a different story than we get with the rest of the MCU i keep saying these sort of this this sentence over and over again but it's such a different story than the rest of the MCU because 
it's it's a story about a father and his daughter, right? It's a it's a story about a parent rather than somebody trying to find their you know long, long lost lover or a king trying to defend his nation or a super soldier trying to find his place in the world. This is a story about a dad and his kid. And all right, so um, one of the things I will say is that it is a travesty that we had to move five years in the future and we had to lose this yes. the actress that plays Cassie. Literally, my first thing in my personal notes is I'm going to miss yes. Cassie. No, I thought the same thing when when uh, when I saw that she was older now because Abby Ryder Fortson is the actress who who played her in in these movies, and she's just so good in them. Uh, and she's just very funny. Uh, she's got great comic timing, great uh, great chemistry with Paul Rudd and with the other characters. The way the way she delivers the line. You can do anything. You're the world's greatest grandma. It's, <laughs> it's so good. Uh, and, and just, I mean, you, Ant-Man, the first Ant-Man does such a great job of setting up the relationship with him bringing her the ugly bunny toy and everything <laughs> like what? And she goes, he's so ugly. I love him. Uh, and you understand their relationship from that point. And you see that he understands her in a way that other people don't. And she understands him in a way that other people don't. Uh, which is why her giving him a world's greatest grandma trophy even makes sense in the first place. <laughs> and, and yeah, it's, it's a bummer that, that they had to age her up because of the five year time skip. You know, at the rate that the world is going right now, by the time the next Ant-Man movie comes out, you might see the same actress playing her. Yeah, maybe they'll bring her back. That's a good point. That's a true point. Well, and Eduardo, I think you bring up a good point because this relationship is played very well, but it's also the running theme of the whole film. Um, the other major relationships in this film are, well, okay, obviously Hope and Scott, but um, Hope and her parents is a major running theme and also i would say that the whole ava and uh bill foster thing um is a a twisted not not in like dark and sinister but like a little bit of a twisted off kilter almost sort of forced tragic father-daughter situation so i I think that that is the core of this film is uh father-daughter relationships um and i think you know cassie and scott i think is the one that's the most entertaining but I think it's the root of this film, and it's the thing that is actually done very well in the movie. It's it's like this is a good, funny father-daughter film that has a third act of people punching people over yada yada science. This is the one thing that I was talking about earlier, Chris. Mm-hmm. As far as similar father-daughter relationships, I think this one stands head and shoulders above the relationship that Tony Stark has with his daughter. I am not saying that it is yes. bad in any way, but I am saying that this is a significantly more compelling and developed relationship. Part of that is time because you've had mm-hmm. a little bit more time, but I think these yeah, characters, it, it's just, there's just something special about the way these two characters interact that make it feel like I don't, not that I don't necessarily care about Tony Stark's daughter, but I don't feel the same way about her that I do about Cassie, where I like yeah. want her protect her with every fiber of my being. Whereas mm-hmm. like the one from Tony, oh, she's like a cute little kid. But this one, I'm like, no, we have to like she must be protected at all costs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she's. It's it's rare that you get a child actor who can do personality. I think, as well as as she does in these movies. 
where mm-hmm. it's like it's not just oh and then they brought in the cute kid it's like okay and then they brought in the kid and the kid was a character and was a good character and who who makes sense in the world of this film and isn't just and eh, they found a girl who who could pretty much act uh, it's like and and especially considering it's always a crapshoot when you get and grant i know that she's been acting for a long time i, th- I think this uh this girl but she was a lot younger in Ant-Man than she was in this, but she grew and like got better as an actor who was given some more stuff to do in this movie. I mean, granted, yeah, she's not in it very much, but she's in it enough that it's like, oh yeah, she does some legitimate acting. You know, she's got, you know, so she's got like a, the, the cut to her smiling when she sees that Scott is now downtown and, participating in the superhero hijinks is so good like 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 the look on her face you know she she plays a lot of great emotions and feelings in this yeah i i thought i was gonna get more pushback than i got so i was prepared to defend no really no i completely agree with you (laughs) yeah Uh, no she's great yeah Yeah. i don't think any of us feel very strongly about morgan stark (laughs) probably (laughs) I mean, she's great. She loves yeah, cheeseburgers. Yeah. I mean, don't we all? Yeah, yeah but you're, you're right. You only get like a few scenes of her in part of one movie to have that relatability time. Sure. You Like, it's not enough time. Yeah. Whereas she is the thing that motivates Scott above all other things. Right, and that's where I started getting the comparison because that's sort of how Tony is treated in Endgame. And yeah. I, I find it a little less compelling now watching Ant-Man because I don't find that that relationship is quite as developed as it is in a movie like Ant-Man and the Wasp. Because mm-hmm. like in, in, in Endgame, that's his entire right. Like that's his entire motivation, right? Like he has to make sure it is done this way to save his daughter because his daughter is the most important thing to him. But we never get that like real connection moment besides the I love you 3000 type of type of moment, which is like, okay, when you think about that moment in a vacuum, but then you think about Cassie and, and Scott and you go, wow, it like, look at this, look at this world. It could have been like, this is where it could have been. But I, so I, here, go ahead. Here's your pushback. Then I think that they both probably have, in the grand scheme of things, a similar love for their daughter. It's just one of them was a, a was shown a lot more than told, and the other one was told a lot more than shown. Yeah, I think sure. that's right. And and with Tony, it's a last movie addition to his character. We've sure. been following Tony Stark for ten, eleven years at that point, and, and this is the first we're seeing him as a father. His relationship with Peter Parker is more developed than his relationship with Morgan, uh, at least yes. as far as time and development is done. I don't think uh, you're wrong. Whereas, whereas it's with Scott, it's like from the very beginning, it's got to do this for my daughter, got to do this for my daughter. Which is why I think it's almost a little superfluous that Tony Stark... I mean, we're getting into Endgame stuff here, but it's almost a little... I just think that we probably won't have the chance because there's going to be so much to talk about Endgame that we'll have the time to talk about this. But it's almost a little superfluous that they even gave Tony Stark a daughter to kind of like have as a as a, as a character moment when he had these types of interests in his life already. Like, why couldn't Peter have been that for him, right? Like, why couldn't well, Peter have been the Well, there because the motivation for why things had to be done the way they had to be done was that I've built this life. I have this daughter now and we can't just snap things back to the way it was before. We need to 
keep things the way they are now, but just bring back everyone that was taken away. So, so sure. I think my 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 point being, I would rather it be a character motivation that he has a daughter than a plot device. Where, where Cassie is a character motivation. She is part of of Scott's character. Tony's daughter is a plot device meant for things to go a particular way in Endgame and for him to have sort of a, a finality to his character. But I don't think she is she is embedded in what we think of when we think of that character. Now, okay, I actually agree with that, but my question is, it if that was the first time we ever saw Tony Stark in that movie, with instead of several other movies establishing his character, would it be different? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I think it would be a little different mm-hmm. because that would be all we have as yeah. and part of it is because we have all this bank right like i'm i'm i've got movies playing in the back of my hand of all right. of these different things tony has done and all of these different movies and there's no daughter in any of them and you know that's not fair necessarily because he hasn't had a daughter in any of those movies but for it to be his like i mean and part of that should be his like character growth in in endgame to be like he had a kid and now that's the most important thing in his life absolutely that makes sense i am just saying when compared immediately to scott and cassie's relationship it it leaves a little to be desired and regardless of circumstance that's just the, the conclusion that i come to so regardless of the screen time or whatever other things i come to the conclusion no matter what that i wish the relationship between tony and his daughter was as developed and is and made me feel the way that that Scott and his daughter's relationship does. I agree. Okay then. <laughs> with the use of the ants, Scott helps Hank and Hope escape from prison. The three, along with Louise, track down the lab, and Hank says he has to go in the quantum tunnel to find Janet so Hope and Scott can keep Ghost busy. While Scott draws out and distracts Ghost, Hank's aunt's corner foster, who says he just wants to help Ava, and Hank's uh, promises to help find a cure after getting Janet. While Hank goes into the quantum realm, Janet shrinks down the lab and drives away with it. No, oh, she doesn't. Ghost drinks down the line. Oh, there's too many Van Dynes. Mm-hmm. Too many Van Dynes. It's hope. Um, Birch <laughs> Classic arrives, misdirection. Leading to a car chase <laughs> down the streets of San Francisco. While Wasp deals with uh, with Birch's thugs, Ghost arrives to complicate things. In the struggle, Birch ends up with the lab, but Luis has the remote for growing it to full size. Luis takes another of Pim's cars and uses it to get the remote to hope pursued by Birch's thugs. I really like here how um, Ant-Man uses a like a flatbed truck as a scooter. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was good. <laughs> that was uh... it did, it reminded me less of a scooter and more of those like um did y'all ever in gym class play with those like square things with wheels yes. on the bottom that yes. you like push around on the floor? Yeah. That's what uh-huh. it reminded me of. Um in the quantum realm Hank finds Janet who is able to use quantum energy she's absorbed to help him stabilize. The two reunite and start to leave, but are unable to until the lab is full size. Birch escapes on a whale-watching tour, but Ant-Man grows to his largest size yet, goes out to the boat, and takes the lab from Birch. Ant-Man gets the lab back to the land, then passes out in the bay from exhaustion over his size. Birch and his men corner Luis, but are tased by Kurt and Dave, given the truth serum that is not a truth serum, but is definitely a truth serum, and arrested (laughs) by the feds. Hope heads underwater to save Scott, taking her attention from Ghost and the lab. Ghost takes the remote from Luis, expands the lab in the middle of the wharf, and attempts to finish the procedure. Foster pleads with her to stop, saying she might kill Janet, who can help, but Ghost knocks him out. 
In the quantum realm, Janet and, and Hank start to return, but Janet returns to fade away as Ghost takes her energy. It was at this point in the movie I started thinking, man, this movie's long. This movie, I think, does better with 30 minutes cut out, and it would have been better for it, in my opinion. It's two hours long. Um, Hope is able to save Scott just in time oh, and yeah. confronts Ghost to interrupt her, saving Janet. As the quantum rover arrives back in normal reality, Scott arrives just in time to stop it from hitting Hope. The Van Dynes reunite, then Janet shows she is able to put her stored energy directly into Ava to stabilize her. Seeing Ant-Man on the news, the FBI arrive, the FBI arrive to arrest the group, but they are able to escape in time. Ava tells Foster he has to get away from her and let her be arrested, but she insists he is going to help her. Scott is able to get back home before Wu can spot him and is released from his monitor. Scott and Hope are later seen I watching. I just remember Judy Greer's line about what does FBI stand for? Forever bothering individuals. <laughs> I almost interrupted to say that too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, while Hank places and enlarges the family home on the beachside with Janet, we get the mid-credit scene with the help of Janet, Hank, and Hope. Scott goes to the quantum realm through a smaller tunnel installed on the back of his van to collect energy to help Ava. While in the realm, Scott loses contact with the three, <laughs> and the audience is shown dust settling over their consoles. Now, Chris, you're a fan of this scene, I see, from yes. having it written in the notes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is how I communicate. Uh, it might be my favorite uh, mid credit scene in the entire MCU, and, and here's why. We already said this movie exists in the shadow of Infinity War. It was the first movie. It came out a couple months after Infinity Wars in theaters. And after Infinity War had become an absolute phenomenon. And you're watching it going, something is going to happen. And you're like, it's probably going to happen in the credits, but something is going to happen that is going to reveal, you know, that, that Thanos has snapped and, and, and Thanos won. And you're wondering, like, how's it going to happen? And then... You know, you get them, oh, he's going into the quantum realm. Oh, this is so cool. And then you hear the static on the radio. And when it cuts back and it's just dust, you know, the same effect that we got at the end of Infinity War. And we see that Janet and Hope and Hank are all gone now. And now Scott is stuck in the quantum realm. I remember it was such a gut punch, like in the theater, even though I think we were all expecting it. Uh, and... I said this like when we were talking about Infinity War is that I did not see it in a theater full of nerds like I used to when I lived in Orlando. I saw it in a theater full of, of normal people. Uh, and still, they all went, oh, like as soon as it happened, like as soon as they realized what had happened, <laughs> there was just this audible like <gasps> you could hear the air just kind of like leave the theater because, you know, by, by that point, Infinity War, like I said, it was a worldwide phenomenon. Everyone knew, everyone was talking about it. It was become that cultural touchstone, kind of, like, in such a short amount of time. And then seeing it happen, it's like, snap back to reality, uh, as it were. Um, oh, there goes gravity. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and not only did it, like, leave you going, okay, yeah, now we... Uh, here's how it ties into infinity war and how it's going to lead an end game. But also then left you the question of, and what's going to happen to Scott. And it's a question that didn't necessarily have the most satisfying answer. Um, since the answer was, 
one day a rat will walk across a keyboard in a storage <laughs> unit and, and we'll get Scott Lang back. Uh, but still, it, it was just like almost <clears throat> audacious in how, again, we've called this a light, low stakes, you know, almost to the point of fault for, for some of us here. Uh, but how it is like such a so much lighter than Infinity War. And then to for that to be the the thing that it leaves you with at the end is just like such a like like I said, it, it's, it's a gut punch is what it is. And it, it was just really like, OK, yeah. So you don't leave 100 percent happy. You now leave like now you're like, oh, now I'm worried about them, uh, which, again, leaves you that much more excited for Endgame. And the best, the best Marvel credit scenes move the story forward. Have some sort of, you know, something happen to the characters, but also leave you wanting more and leave you like excited about what's coming next. And the original Ant Man, you know, the scene where he shows Hope the Wasp outfit and teases that okay, the next movie you're going to be the Wasp is good. And the other credit scene is literally just lifted from Civil War, which is eh, okay. You, you get to know that Ant Man's going to be in Civil War, but but what does this have to do with anything? And this, I, I think, this scene in particular just embodies what the Marvel post-credit scenes ought to be. Uh, I think the only two that you could argue are better than that are uh, at least from the, with from those criteria at least uh, are the original one with Nick Fury in iron man and believe it or not the scene in thor the dark world where they go to visit the collector and we hear about infinity stones for the first time uh i think those are really the only two that compare based on that particular set of criteria in my opinion you don't think the thanos one at the end of avengers does oh they say thanos too um but that yeah, uh, okay, the Thanos one I, I would throw in there as well. Uh, maybe a little bit less because the implications aren't necessarily quite as clear, except for, oh, there's a bad guy behind the bad guy. Um, certainly, by the by the time you get to Infinity War, you know what it means. But um, but yeah, no, uh, that one as well uh, would be, like, that would be, if we were doing a tier list, those would all be S tier. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I think that's true, um, everything you said. Uh, and one of the things I come from it, it does two things immediately, though. Um, one is this movie has a really happy ending, and everyone's together. And then before the credits are even over, you know it's not actually a happy ending because he's just going to spend five years in the quantum realm instead of back together with his family. Um, yeah. He's going to miss the next five years of Cassie's life. Um, hey, there's your stakes. Um, mm-hmm. And it's... Uh, so it... It feels like I can't enjoy the happy ending, even on first viewing, because I know that something's happening. I know that something in the greater scheme is happening instead of Scott Lang getting reunited with his family, finally. That's like Ragnarok. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, also, I found myself this time wondering, like, okay, so what's going on with Ghost? Because they were going there to harvest energy to help her, um, and then they just got snapped. So, how's Ghost doing? Ooh, like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe she also yeah. got blipped. Yeah. yeah, it's like the weirdest. It's like the weirdest sandwich, right? Because the post-credit scene is the ant playing the drum kit. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like trailer. <laughs> it's like a it's like a really thick piece of bread 
comedy bread with a thin <laughs> layer of serious peanut butter and then another thin piece of comedy bread at the bottom. But with the added serious of you cut to the ant playing drums, but you also, as the camera's moving there, you see the TV with the uh, test pattern on it that says, this is not a test, this is an emergency, please stand by. Maybe it's <laughs> chunky serious peanut butter then. There we go. <laughs> So is that ant just sitting there playing the drums forever because no one's home? Also, why is sitting the ant there. still there? His proba- his uh, house arrest has been over for a while. I don't know. Sitting there slapping the bass drum. Just slapping the bass drum. No? Good. Okay, well. Well, since we've already gone over the other post credit scene, let's head Oh, come on! Our, <laughs> let's head into our MVPs for this movie. Peaches, we'll start off with you. Oh, okay. Uh, it's Scott Lang. Whoa. It's definitely Scott Lang because um, as Robbie pointed out earlier, and I'm sure I'm stealing what he's going to say for this. I'm so sorry. <laughs> is that he is he is the one like kind of breaking the fourth wall in this movie. He's the one calling out all of the, as we've been calling it, yada yada science and just being completely ridiculous about it. Like um, the care that y'all have talked about between uh, him and Cassie is there and very obvious. Uh, it's not just because he's the title character, but he makes he makes the funny parts of the movie more fun. And I and I like that he um, he calls out all the all the weird BSness. I specifically <laughs> like the line where they're they're talking sciency in the um, the ex-cons uh, office area. And Scott's like, oh, yeah, that's that's what I was thinking. Uh, like, <laughs> like when people are like, yeah, I know what you meant, but can you explain it for the other people in the room? Like, that's kind of how <laughs> the, the feel that he had there. And he just does that a lot through the movie. And, and I, I like it. I think, I think he's the most consistently funny in the movie. Well, don't what about worry. you, Robbie? I will, I will make up for you stealing things from me, um, at a immediate future date. Uh, but yeah, for <laughs> me, it's Ant-Man as well. Um. And it's not even particularly close, despite the fact that there's a lot of great performance in this movie. Um, this is a Paul Rudd movie, and Paul Rudd is great in his Paul Rudd movie. Um, and so Ant-Man is the, the reason this is so entertaining. I think the lamp shading that Peach has called out is a lot of why it's great. Um, but there, there's more to it than that. Um, so he definitely... He's not carrying the movie because I don't think that other people need to be carried but he is the most uh, entertaining and charismatic performance on screen. So, um, but uh, Chris, what do you think? I was very close to saying Scott. Uh, I very nearly did because I think that he, he does bring the movie through. And there are, again, like you said, a lot of good performances in this movie. Lawrence Fishburne is really good. I don't know if we mentioned that, that his character is a superhero in the comics. We did not. <laughs> uh, that's, yeah, yeah, I know is. his name, but I couldn't place who he is. Oh, it's it's Goliath. Oh, okay, got it, got it, got it. Because remember, he says that it's the that he worked on the Goliath program. Yes, okay, that makes sense. Yep. And it's just Goliath because back in the day it was Black Goliath because every African American hero had to be Black something. Except uh, Falcon, even reasons. though Black Falcon, other than Woodward, like, like, right? That name works. It's it's stupid if yeah. They, had named him that it would have been dumb right yeah but but he at least avoided that trope right. he he was the first but then after that everyone else was black vulcan black black goliath black right. thunder whatever um 
Was Black Vulcan actually African American, or am I thinking of something else? No, he I know is. Black Bolt is the exception in the other direction, right? <laughs> but that's he's only called Black Bolt because his name is Black Agar Boltagon, <laughs> so, which is my favorite comic book fact. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You know the nickname Black for my full name, Blackagon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no. But anyway, my MVP is Cassie. Uh, now that we talked about Lawrence Fishburne and and Black Goliath, um, yeah. No, I for all the reasons I said earlier, I just I really really enjoy Cassie uh, Abby Ryder Forson's performance in this, and I she will be missed in the MCU. I'm gonna cheat. And I have two MVPs. And combine your answers and say the MVPs of this movie are Scott and Cassie. Our powers combined. <laughs> and Robbie, I agree with what you were saying. Scott doesn't carry this movie, but Scott and Cassie definitely elevate the movie. You know, they don't carry yeah. the movie. They don't carry the, the weight of everything, but they definitely elevate everything to another level. It would have been a lesser movie without them, both literally and figuratively. Um. Yeah, they're both great. I've already talked about them enough, but I think they're great in this movie. All right, how does the movie fit in the MCU? Uh, it doesn't really, but that's okay, <laughs> besides the end credit scene. That um, and introducing the Quantum Realm, which becomes the plot point in Avengers Endgame. Yeah. yeah Not weird. introducing the Quantum Realm, but really delving into the Quantum Realm and the quantum tunnels and the quantum suits. Like, this movie actually does a lot of legwork to set up Endgame. Right, it's like Dark World in that it is not necessarily the most memorable movie um does not necessarily have the same tone it not this has the same tone as dark world but i think it's like dark world in that its tone is different from a lot of the the mcu and yet sets up a whole lot of important things for the mcu at the same time which is is weird it's fine but it's weird all right i have nothing to add no okay (laughs) sorry Let's go with our ratings then. Robbie, we'll start with you. What are you going to rate Ant-Man and the Wasp? I am going to rate Ant-Man and the Wasp 6.5 Baba Yagas out of 10. Um, Baba Yaga! And it's, not, it's not a bad movie. I just feel like it... And really, I don't think any MCU movies are necessarily bad. I think there are MCU movies that are campy fun, and there are MCU movies that are really good. And I think this movie is like right between those this movie is the cutoff between the movies that are good and the movies that are okay um it is somewhere it's like the purgatory of mcu movies um so 6.5 baba yagas out of 10 enjoyable but forgettable and i got my rating in there first so apparently that meant i was the winner (laughs) (laughs) yeah we were all so mad at robbie because we all wanted to say baba yaga yeah chris and he sniped it chris you should know that as i was typing my rating in the notes peaches is writing damn you robbie i was literally just writing that exact same sentence (laughs) (laughs) literally the exact same sentence because i also would have given it 6.5 baba yagas but instead i gave it six point if I had one, I would have given it... I, instead, I gave it 6.5 undercarriage washes out of 10 for basically the same reason. You don't get the undercarriage wash in, in California. That's for our uh, more snow-inclined <laughs> neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great line, too. Uh, I, no, I actually really... I like that character so much. Not, not that he's a great character, but like everything he says is amusing. <laughs> uh, Chris, how many Baba Yagas uh, would you I have gave given? it... Uh, 
I would have given it uh, 7.5 Bobby Yagas, but I couldn't. Uh, so I gave it 7.5 Beloved Commercials out of 10. Wazza! Wasabi! <laughs> and I gave it 7 World's Greatest Grandmas out of 10. Uh, where does this stack ranking-wise for you guys? Uh, how about uh, you, Chris? It's somewhere in the middle for me. I honestly, I, I can't decide if I'm putting it before or after the other Ant-Man. I feel like I give it a slight edge over Ant-Man because this one is Ant-Man and the Wasp. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, you know, it's it's a, a it's a fun, if not, you know, like I said, like we said, it's not the most memorable movie in in the series, but it is fun and I enjoy it and I'm glad it exists and I would watch it again and will. For me, looking at my actual order, like movie title by movie title, it's interesting that I gave it a six. Like, I agree with my own rating of 6.5, but in front of it with a seven is Thor, which I enjoyed a lot more. I remember enjoying a lot more than we expected to, right? Mm -hmm. And right after it is Ultron, which I have a ton of problems with. So for me, I feel like Ant-Man and the Wasp is like the middle. It is the grit, the yes. line in the sand, like everything in front of it. For the most part, I'm positive on and everything after it. I probably was a, a pessimist, uh, a negative Nancy in that episode. But Ant-Man and the Wasp, I'm like, that's the line. I, I, I guess that's what it is. So yeah, peaches again. Our rankings are basically the same with small variation, because um, I would completely agree that this is the line between the movies I liked and the movies that I watched. Um, <laughs> I didn't necessarily dislike; just eh, they're fine. Um, so, like my bottom, working up from the bottom up, Iron Man Two is my least favorite MCU movie. That has stayed the case through all of this. Uh, then Thor: The Dark World, then Incredible Hulk, then Age of Ultron. And then comes Ant-Man and the Wasp as it happened. I neither disliked nor liked it. And then above the next one above that is um, Spider-Man Homecoming, which is the, the lowest of the movies that I liked. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so it forms kind of that, that barrier line. Also, like you said about looking back in your ratings is interesting. The more I look at this, the more I feel like I want to knock points off of Ultron and Hulk and Dark World and Iron Man 2. Like, I feel like maybe those need to be more in the five-ish range than the six-ish range. Uh, how about you, Fearless Leader? Uh, fearless Leader. I'm, <laughs> I'm, let me tell you, and this time I'm plenty scared. Uh, I think I like it a little more than you guys do, just because I am a Paul Rudd stan. <laughs> but I still don't like it, like, more than any of the, like, good marvel movies you know <laughs> or what i consider to be the good marvel movies i don't think i like it more than i definitely don't like it more than captain america or ragnarok or homecoming or any of the the ones that i would consider to be sort of the the upper echelon but i definitely like it more than things like hulk and iron man and thor even though i am a hulk stan uh, i definitely like it more than hulk and <laughs> i definitely like it more than the iron man movies but you guys know my st my stance on that. I definitely like it more mm -hmm. than Ultron and Thor: The Dark World. Woof. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I see I you also stand... like it more than Guardians Two, which is currently what I'm spending the rest of the night thinking opinion. about. Do you, do you still feel that way? Because you were talking a couple episodes about how the more you think about the Guardians character, like if 
And I think maybe we should have a bonus episode at the end of all this where we kind of recap our list and, and see how we feel compared to the list we hypothesized. Yeah, let's do a retrospective on our retrospective. Dude, I'm saying we should. I'll be I here. at least think that we should mm-hmm. we should look at our first list and look at our last list and see how different it is. Sure. But yeah, I digress. You were talking a couple a couple episodes ago about how you have come to really enjoy all of the Guardians characters. And I'm curious if you could, if you would move around your volume two ranking now that you feel that like you are aware that you feel that way yes if i, Put it up I think the top i could five. i would move it up one maybe two rankings but i don't think i would put it above any of the other movies over there okay so, so i not, would probably it move it right if i did move it i'd move it right behind ragnarok okay so right in front of the movie that we just did correct cool <laughs> And I don't think you're wrong. I just thought about that. Um, Yeah. I need to give it another watch. I need to give all these movies another. All right. We're doing it. Round two. It's been on TNT basically. Yeah, the retrospective, retrospective. Three retrospective. Retrospective. Strikes back. This time we watch them all in a foreign language of your choice, viewers. I choose Spanish. Listeners. (laughs) Oh, that's not fair. (laughs) Yeah, come on. That's going to do it for all of us here on this episode of Assembly Required and MCU Retrospective. If you'd like to email the show, you can email us at assemblyrequiredcast at gmail.com. We're at assemblycast on Twitter. We're on Facebook, Assembly Required. Just type in Assembly Required. You'll find us on there. Um, you can find uh, D underscore Peaches for Peaches, PhilKid3 for Robbie, GatorSax2010 for Chris, and ABCD Eduardo1 for Eduardo1. You're Eduardo. Uh, I'm Eduardo. <laughs> That's going to do it for all of us here. Remember all of you, you are all the world's greatest grandmas. We love your 3000. Bye everybody. Celsior. Hell Hydra. Boobly boobly. Bobbly ugly. the show in a three a two one also before i start i read i heard the actual commercial the other day and it's counting from one to three and not three to one yes. and my whole world is shattered oh and i don't feel genuine doing right that because anymore. i'm gonna because he starts it. his counting without knowing what the end point is and then the end right. point just becomes three I understand that but i just kind of started doing it at one point not thinking <laughs> about it and now that i've thought about it I don't want to do it anymore, but I'll keep doing it because it's what the fans want. And by the fans, I mean the three of you. (laughs) (laughs) It's what you three definitely want. All right, starting the show in three, two, one. He said it.